This morning, I want to further explore with you the theme of Exodus. For as I said at the beginning of April, in this month I wanted to explore the themes of Easter. And last week we talked about the Exodus of Jesus. And this theme of Exodus is a major theme in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. As we saw last week, Jesus, by his death and resurrection, leads his followers, those who believe in him, on exodus. Not from slavery to a political party or a power, but from the tyranny and reign of death. The Old Testament signpost that we want to consider today, when it was first provided by God, testified to the complete otherness of Yahweh. This signpost also confirmed just how sinful sin is. But most remarkably, it pointed ahead to what Jesus would lead his followers into. I posted the coffee question for this week earlier on Facebook and on Instagram. And the question I asked you was, think of the curtains in your home. What purpose do they serve? Are they decorative? Are they for privacy? Are they to block light? And were there any other purposes that you could think of that you assign to the curtains in your home? And this coffee question does connect to what we're going to be studying this morning, I assure you. I've said this before, but it it bears repeating again, and I think we need to say it often. The Bible, which is comprised of the Old and New Testament, 66 books, written in three languages on three continents by 40 different human authors, over a time period of approximately 1,600 years, is the enduring verbal word of God given to us that we might know who God is, who we are, and what God has done to save us through Jesus Christ. In this book, we encounter the wisdom of God, and as we do, it leaves us breathless, And it brings us to our knees in awe. This morning we want to begin to unpack what was accomplished when Jesus said, it is finished. And then bowed his head and committed his spirit into the Father's hands. Today's Bible passage is actually a compilation from the four gospel writers. And so the scripture will appear up on the screen. Different colors, as you'll be able to see, are referring to different gospels. But Matthew is the primary reader for us. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land, for the sun stopped shining. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, 
which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him, to take him down. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he bowed his head, breathed his last, and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. <clears throat> and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Surely this was a righteous man. The reading of God's word. When Jesus said, it is finished, and then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, at the very moment he died, the curtain in the temple was torn into from top to bottom. Now, as we've just read, there were other dramatic, supernatural things that happened. But our focus this morning is on the curtain that was torn. There's some questions we need to ask and answer. What was this curtain? And more importantly, what purpose did it serve? And to answer these questions, we need to go back to the book of Exodus. After Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, they came three months later to the very day to Mount Sinai where the nation camped, camped in front of that mountain for approximately nine to ten months. God had rescued them from their bondage to Egypt in order to bring them into relationship with himself. And this is what he said to the nation through Moses. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you... To myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. How incredible was this? God had chosen Israel to be his treasured possession. And he had entrusted to them a great responsibility. They were to be a kingdom of priests. 
Now, what was the response of the people to what God had done for them and what he proposed and what he asked of them? This is what they said. We'll do everything the Lord has said. And we see here in this passage, but also throughout the Scripture, God always is the initiator. Before they chose God, we'll do everything you say. God chose them. And this is how it is. Always. Now in response to their response, God said to Moses, Something that in my estimation, or you may find it strange, said, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear me speaking. Why did God do this? Why as he came near, did he hide himself in a dense cloud? And the answer is actually quite simple. In order to protect, protect them from his brilliant glory. But why? The answer is found further on in the book of Exodus. In chapter 33, Moses asked God this, Show me your glory. Do you know what God said to him? He said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Do you know why that is? 1 Timothy 6.16 explains, Because... God lives in unapproachable light. Have you ever tried to stare at the sun? What happens when you, when you do this? I'll tell you what happens to me. My eyes water and they sting so quickly that I have to close them and look away. We cannot look directly at the sun. And I want to tell you that the unapproachable light that emanates from God comes from his moral purity. And so when God appeared to the nation in a dense cloud, his provision of this dense cloud was actually an act of mercy. The relationship also that God entered into Israel, with Israel, was an act of mercy. For he would say to them, I've come to live among you. This too is astounding especially when you understand what happened in the beginning. Before Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the one tree God had forbidden, God had daily walked and fellowshiped with them. In those early days, the two realms, heaven and earth, were united. But when our first parents sinned, even as he pronounced judgment on them, God mercifully drove them out of the garden. And he did so in order that they might be saved. The consequence of being exiled was bitter, for God no longer walked with them, and they had lost his fellowship. But God promised Eve that an offspring of hers would come and he would rescue. He would bring humanity home to God. As God entered into a relationship with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, he did so, as I've already said, in order to live among them. 
Now the instructions that God gave to the nation of Israel as they camped there for nine to ten months, these instructions were given through Moses. And I want to say this again, or say this as well. They were instructions of mercy. Of how the nation would live as a holy God's treasured possession. God told them that a movable tabernacle was to be built. And a priesthood was to be established that would offer sacrifices of atonement to God for the people. And we'll come back to this in just a moment. But first you need to realize that the plans for the tabernacle were not thought up in the mind of Moses, but were shown to him. And you can read of that in Exodus chapter 26. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 also tells us that these plans that God showed to Moses were actually a copy a shadow of what is in heaven. The tabernacle, as you can see on the slide, had two parts to it. A part that was called the most holy place, and then another part that was called the holy place, and a curtain which separated the two parts. There isn't time this morning to speak of the items that were placed in the holy place, We're only going to focus on what was in the most holy place and the curtain that kept it separate from the holy place and the rest of the camp. In the most holy place, there was only one thing, an ark. And this ark contained the two tablets of the covenant which were written by God's own finger. The ark had a lid which was known as the atonement cover. And on this cover were two cherubim facing each other with their wings spread upward and their eyes looking downward. And God explained to Moses the significance of the space between the two cherubim and above the cover. He said in Exodus 25 and verse 22, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Did you catch that? The presence of God would be manifested above the atonement cover. This was the place, the one place, where heaven and earth intersected. This was the place where God said he would live among the Israelites. He later on in Exodus 29 said this to the nation, to Moses, to the people, so I will consecrate the tent of meeting. That was another word to describe the tabernacle and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Why was he doing this? Then, and because of the tent of meeting and the priests, then he says, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt. And again he states it, so that. This is why he rescued them from Egypt. So that I might Dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. 
But this takes us back to the question of how. How could Israel be God's treasured possession? How could a holy God live among a sinful people? What changed? And we discover as we work our way through the book of Exodus that only if a sacrifice were to be made to atone for their sin could God dwell among the people. And it was in the very place where God's presence was manifested. Above the atonement cover, between the two cherubim, this was where his presence was manifested. Here in the most holy place, the high priest would come once a year. And he would sprinkle before the ark the blood of a goat. And he would sprinkle on the cover of the ark And he would do so in order to atone for the sins of the Israelites. For the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sins. And this blood of a substitute was allowed by God, was provided by God to temporarily cover their sin. And we know it was temporary because his instructions were it had to be done yearly. And so I say to you, yes, God lived among them, but it was not like it had been in the garden. God lived among them, but the curtain enforced a separation. No one, no one, no one could walk into the most holy place and have a chat with God. It was forbidden. And when the nation of Israel finally settled in the land of Canaan, the tabernacle was replaced by a temple which Solomon built. And as it was in the tabernacle, so it was in the temple. There hung a curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place. As it was in the tabernacle, so it was in the temple. No one was permitted to go into the most holy place where God's presence was manifested except the high priest. And he could only go once a year. And he would go for the express purpose of sprinkling blood to atone for the sin of the nation. The curtain, while it mercifully restricted access to God, was also a most painful reminder of the tragic cost of sin. Remember what God told Moses. No one can see my face and live. But before the fall, Adam and Eve did see God's face. They did walk with him. They did fellowship with him. And so this brings us to what happened when Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished, and then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. For at that very moment, the curtain in the temple at Jerusalem was torn in two. And the fact that it, this happened announced a great spiritual seismic shift. What had been done? Had someone stood beneath the cross of Jesus and gathered the blood that dripped off of his body and then somehow managed to get into the most holy place and there sprinkled it on the atonement cover of the ark? Is that what had happened? Is that why the curtain was torn in two? No. The answer is given to us in the Scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 9, 
verse 24 to 28. We read, Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. And what I say to you that took place at that very moment is that the blood of Jesus Christ was sprinkled in the presence of God, but not at the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus' blood was presented where? In heaven itself. When he breathed his last breath, Jesus walked through the curtain that had separated us from coming near to God. And as he presented his blood, he did so as an atonement for our sin. And look at the next passage, the next verses in Hebrews chapter 9. And we read, Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. For remember what had been the practice. Every year the high priest had to come into the most holy place and sprinkle the blood of a goat to atone for the sin of the people, of the nation, yearly. But here it says, Jesus did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But Christ has appeared, and I love these next three words, once for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And I say to you, based on what the Word of God says, the sacrifice of Jesus was enough. It did not need to be repeated. Jesus' blood did away with sin once and for all. There's a phrase in these verses that confirms and explains just how profound the sacrifice of Jesus was. You can see it highlighted in yellow. But Christ has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now the word culmination means the climatic point. And according to this verse, what was the climatic point of the ages? It was the coming of Jesus to the earth to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it's significant that ages is plural. This culmination of the ages was as one age ended, another began. And at this point, this juncture where the old age and the new age began, this is where Jesus' sacrifice was provided, the sacrifice of his own body, his own self, to pay for our sin. Now, how can we know this is true? How can we know this truly happened? Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's one of the most profound proofs that Jesus Christ accomplished what he said he had come to do. And we know that because Jesus rose from the dead, he now lives in heaven in a glorified physical body that cannot die, that cannot age, or ever become sick. But there is another proof, the tearing of the curtain in the temple. Think about it. Who tore the curtain? The temple curtain was 
60 feet long and 30 feet wide, and it is thought to have been about an inch thick. I measured this book is approximately an inch thick. Can you imagine then, even if, if you know, this little bit, if I tried to tear this book, even as it's an inch thick, it is impossible for me to do that. And imagine a curtain that's 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, bigger than this room. And it was torn in two. Now, if humans were the agents of the tearing, the curtain would have been torn from the bottom to the top. That's the most obvious way. Who's going to climb up 60 feet and try to begin to tear? You'd start at the bottom. But the fact that the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom leaves us only one option as to who tore it. It was God. And he did so dramatically in order to communicate that in the sacrifice of Jesus, there is provision for all who put their faith in him to come home to him, to come into his presence. Think of it. Think of it. The same God who in the beginning drove Adam and Eve out of the garden and away from his presence did everything in Jesus Christ to bring humanity back to himself. And Jesus' sacrifice didn't just cover sin as the blood of animals had temporarily done so in the time of the Old Testament. The sacrifice of his life took away our sin. And the last verses read in Hebrews 9, just as people are destined to die once. And that's an important phrase to understand. For there are some who think that as individuals we may live many different times. The Word of God says to us, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We know and we speak of it often here that the death and sacrifice of Jesus is appropriated when a person puts their faith and trust in him. But in light of today's theme about the curtain and what happened when it was torn in two, I also want to emphasize to you what else is freely given to us because this happened. I encourage you in the next week to come back to two passages that I'm going to show to you very briefly. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 16, we read this. Let us then approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I say this to you because the curtain has been torn in two, you and I can approach God. We don't need a high priest to go to God on our behalf. Because of Jesus, the door's open. The way is clear. We can come to God, not with fear, but with confidence, as this verse says, because Jesus has removed our sin. We know that in doing so, we enter into a relationship with God where he's our father. 
And in Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father provided everything for our salvation. Having done this, this passage assures you that whatever grace and mercy you need for today, He'll give it to you. Is that not incredible? Because the curtain has been torn, and because Jesus has ascended into heaven, and because he'll give us mercy and grace in our time of need, the verse preceding Hebrews 4.16 said, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And I want to remind you, follower of Jesus, our confidence is not in the strength of the faith we profess, but in the strength of the one who is our Savior. And we hold on to him firmly because he holds on to us firmly. This is a reality because the curtain has been torn in two. The other passage in the book of Hebrews that draws application from the curtain that was torn in two is found in chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Now, I know that many times I've read this chapter, and when I've done so, I've focused on verse 22 to 25. And I've missed the preceding verses that set up the encouragement and the challenge that's given in verses 22 to 25. Look at the verses that proceed. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. So when he wrote in chapter 4, let's draw near to the throne of God, he's referring to what? The throne of God in the most holy place. And why, are we, why do we have confidence to enter the most holy place? Because of the blood of Jesus. And we are able to enter the most holy place by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and here it is again, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. These verses likewise, like chapter 4, encourage you to draw near to God. And by draw near, the writer is explicitly clear what he means. To come right into the most holy place where the presence of God is manifested. Because of Jesus' sacrifice that atoned for our sin, we can now experience through faith in Jesus the fellowship with God. Hear this, please, please hear this. The fellowship with God that Adam and Eve enjoyed. He restored through Jesus what had been lost. And this is what the writer has in mind when he then urges us in 22 to 25, says, let us draw near to God. Walk with God. You can, through faith in Jesus Christ, be near to hear his voice, to enjoy his fellowship, and do so on a daily, regular basis. He also says to us that even in the challenges that this life brings, the discouragements that can happen, the uncertainties that will come our way, the writer says, again, as he did in chapter 4, hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. Do you know what that word unswervingly means? It means to not turn aside, to not give up on. 
I remind you, dear follower of Jesus Christ, we have a glorious Savior and a glorious future. Hold unswervingly to that hope. The best is yet to come. And lastly, because the curtain has been torn in two, we are to look for the ways to remind each other of what a great salvation we have. And because of that great salvation, to spur each other on in living our lives for the glory of God. This is what it meant when the scripture says the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The way to God was again open. Thank you for the incredible signpost of this curtain and the message of hope that it speaks to us that we can draw near to God, not on the merits of our own, but on the merits of our Savior Jesus Christ who paid for our sin in full and opened the way for us to come near. Thank you that we, again, through Christ, can fellowship with you, God. How good you are. How great is your mercy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.